welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $3.99 a month. With me, as always, is my co-host, Alex Spears. And today, Al, I just want to talk about team building. I love team building. And oh, specifically, we love it. We love it. It's very nerdy. We want to talk about, the, I just want to talk about the jazz. I was watching them last night recording this Friday afternoon, and... I just, it's just kind of, they're, they're kind of an enamoring team. Like they play a really fun brand of basketball. They've got a really interesting star in Donovan Mitchell. They have this three-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. And I just think it's kind of fun to rewind and think about how did they even get this team? Like, how did this happen? Because you, like, we know those guys weren't selected with high picks, but like, how, like, how did they even get here? Uh, and to me, it all kind of starts, uh, back in in 2010 where they think they have this team they have like this Carlos Boozer Darren Williams team and then Carlos Boozer leaves right and this kind of gets forgotten in jazz history but they traded two first round picks for Al Jefferson after that happened to try to bolster their roster after he left, they were trying to replace Carlos Boozer and so they traded two first round <laughs> picks for Al Jefferson Big Al was good <laughs> He was good. Uh, Here's a quote from David Kahn post-trade. With Kevin Love and Michael Beasley on the team, there wouldn't have been enough playing time for everybody to showcase Al. He was right. just so funny. David Kahn, totally right. (laughs) David Kahn, thanks a lot. Uh, But ultimately, like that Al Jefferson acquisition didn't lead to much, and the Jazz knew it from that day. They ended up trading Darren Williams in February of 2011. So they didn't have Al Jefferson on the roster for very long before they went ahead and kind of blew things up. And so here's the kind of questionable era for the Jazz. Like this 2011 through uh, like 2013 draft. It's like there's lots of questionable decisions being made. Uh, So in the 2011 draft, they took Ennis Cantor at pick three. They had already acquired Al Jefferson. They had Derek Favors, and then they take a big. And like, if you look back at the 2011 draft, it's not a bad draft at all, but it may have been one of the worst evaluated drafts at the top ever. <laughs> like, you have Kyrie that goes one. That's great. And then after that, it's Darren Will- or Derek Williams, Cantor, Tristan Thompson, Valanciunas goes five, which is fine. But then like Jan Vesely, Bismack Biombo, Brandon Knight. Like that, those are your high lottery picks. And then you look at the back half, Kemba goes nine, Clay Thompson 11, Kawhi 15, Vucevic 16, Tobias Harris 19, Jimmy Butler 30. And of course, you're going to have guys at the end of every first round that are good. But it's just wild like how misevaluated the top of that draft was. So you can't really kill the Jazz for that because everybody just had it wrong that year outside of Kyrie. But still, it's just kind of questionable. You have all these bigs, and then you add Cantor, and you couldn't really develop him with minutes. Uh, So to me, that was kind of questionable deal number one. Uh, You go to the 2012 draft, 
And this is a pick that they traded for in the Al Jefferson deal. And the the Warriors ended up they ended up acquiring the Warriors pick. So they didn't have their own pick. That went to the Wolves. In 12, they had the Warriors pick had it been eight or lower. And this was one of the reasons ah, the Warriors the tanked Barnes that year. Draft. So you like wonder like one of the reasons why they were tanking is because they needed that they needed the seventh pick or higher in order to get there. Right. But something I didn't remember was that at the end of the season, they were tied with the Raptors. And so it wasn't only that they needed to tank. They tanked and they got t- and they were tied. And so they needed the coin flip to oh, go their way no. in order for the Warriors to keep their pick. So Jazz fans are on the edge of their seat. Not only is it Warriors fans, but Jazz fans are on the edge of their seat thinking, we could get the eighth pick in this draft. Wow. If it goes our way. And it went against the Jazz. So a little bit of bad luck there. Uh, but like that, the eighth pick in that draft wasn't going to net you a whole lot. Was that Drummond? But that's, yeah, you could have gotten Andre Drummond if you wanted to. But there's <laughs> a, there wasn't big, a ton I'm there. Sure the Jazz. Right, yeah. I'm sure they would have taken Drummond there. <laughs> uh, so that's just kind of a little interesting piece because we always think about it as just like the Warriors. Like, they, oh, they tanked to get Harrison Barnes. Yeah, great. They, and they didn't even do a good enough job. It was a 50-50 chance. They didn't even have that pick at the end of the season. Uh, so you move on to 2013. This is such an, this is one of the more interesting drafts for the Jazz. So going into it, they had picks 21 and 14. Um, they traded those two picks to to get up to nine, uh, in which they took Trey Burke <laughs> at nine. <laughs> they traded their two first round picks, and they missed on CJ McCollum, Stephen Adams, obviously Giannis is in there, Schroeder, but they targeted Trey Burke. And then at the end of the first round, they called the Denver Nuggets, asking about pick 27, and they select Rudy Gobert there. They do end up getting the pick. Do you recall what they had to give up to get that 27th pick? Oh, I remember looking at the sub. It was something dumb, like something real dumb. The 46th pick and cash is how they got Rudy Gobert. That's what they had to expend to get him. Just wild. The Nugget, the, if, you, if you're a Jazz fan, you're also just like a Nuggets front office fan too, right? The, that might be like the last one of those types of trades where people are just basically giving away a first-round pick. I mean, we haven't had something like that in a while. I mean, if that happened today, that team would get killed if they traded a first-round pick for a rand, like a late second and just cash. Absolutely destroyed. But at the time, so I don't even to- remember caring about it. Right. Yeah, no one cared back then. And th- and also the thing about it is the draft is so much more covered today. Like I feel yeah, like people sure. care so much more about the draft and care much so much more about the lottery and all that stuff that's today. That's all I than care about did back then. That's, that's that's all we care about at all. Uh, so up to this point, anything that happened in the like top 10 has not gone well for the Jazz. They don't have really any semblance of a roster up to this point, right? Even Rudy Gobert wasn't really much of a player his first couple years in the league. And so, like, you're counting on Trey Burke. You're still hoping that Ennis Cantor emerges. You have Derek Favors, who's still on the roster, who had to kind of journey away and then came back. But still, he was not the savior for this team. Uh, and they get Rudy Gobert for 40, the 46 pick and cash. And, like, that's obviously going to be one of their biggest ones. They're bad again. This is the highest pick they have. They're picking five. 
in the 2014 draft. They select Dante Exum with the fifth pick in the draft. Uh, and to their credit, there wasn't really a whole lot else there. Uh, so it, it's hard to say they really messed up with that pick. They weren't going to get an. They weren't going to get a superstar had they selected somebody else at five. Uh, but it just kind of goes with the draft. Like it's not always a foregone conclusion that you can really upgrade your roster all that much in the top ten. Um, but swing and a miss in the 2014 draft. 2015, they take Trey Lyles at 12. Another big swing and a miss. Devin Booker, as mm. as people that cover the Thunder, Dev, the Thunder were picking 14 in this draft. And how much do Thunder fans talk about Devin Booker all the time, right, around that time of the draft? And the Thunder were picking 14. They didn't have the chance to take him. Well, the Jazz did, and they took Trey Lyles at 12. They took the wrong Kentucky guy at 12. They also uh, missed yes, out on uh, Cameron Payne. Do we say that now? <laughs> Could have had campaign. Yes, you could. I think you can say that now. Could have had Kelly Oubre. I don't know. Uh, so lots of misses up until this point outside of the the Go Bear for cash pick. You get to the 2016 draft. The Jazz make a win now move in 2016. They trade the 12th pick, so they're still not a good team. They're in the lottery. 12th pick, which ended up being Torian Prince, which is like meh. All right, whatever. Uh, for George Hill. And so they were trying to win now to keep Gordon Hayward, which is just kind of funny to think about. Wow. Like that's That was their win now move. Uh, and, you know, they also traded, they traded the 42nd pick in the draft for cash in that draft too. So they were going in with 12 and 42. And so they traded 42 for cash in the 55th pick in the draft. Uh, and going all in, which, remind me, but, but they had not made the playoffs yet with that Gordon Hayward group, right? No, this is this is kind of their their hope to get into the playoffs. Let's let's make a push. Yeah, wow. And it hadn't happened yet. And it's starting to feel hopeless. And so if you're a Jazz fan, you know that this Gordon Hayward free agency in in 2016 is coming and you're just feeling stress like this is your only ticket to being a a good team, right? Like this is it. Uh, not so fast. The Nuggets front office to the rescue once again because you get to the 2017 draft. The Jazz traded Trey Lyles and pick 24 to trade up to 13, and they got Donovan Mitchell. You remember who the Nuggets selected with the pick, the 24th pick in the draft? Uh, oh, I see the name. One of your favorites, Tyler Lydon. Tyler Lydon. So they end up getting Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon. Lots of LYs in this. Uh, yeah, it's it's just a very troubling trade from the perspective of the Nuggets. But if you're a Jazz fan, again, you're just thanking the Nuggets for just gifting you a franchise player and not a guy that everybody thought was a franchise player going into that draft. Obviously, if he goes 13, no one thinks he's going to be a franchise player. But... That's where everything takes off and things change. Because at this point, after that, Gordon Hayward leaves to go to the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics feel like a juggernaut, right? Like they're, oh my gosh, they got Gordon Hayward. Look at all these draft picks. Look at all the things that they have. And you you have the Utah Jazz, which is like, oh my gosh, the small market just can't even make it. They can't even get there. But they acquire Donovan Mitchell and it becomes clear very fast that this guy is special. Uh, they, They beat the 2018 Westbrook PG Mellow Thunder 
in the 2018 playoffs and you start to kind of like your eyes get a little bit wide. You're like, oh my gosh. And you also, this all kind of all goes back to Gordon Hayward too. Like if Hayward would have just stayed, one, he would have been on a better team, a better situation. They probably would have paid him what he wanted anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that Jazz team is probably even more interesting than they are today. Um, but still doing great. They take... Grayson Allen with the 21st pick. They just just nailing that pick, just getting a competent player was a was kind of important because he was a part of the the Mike Conley trade the following year in 2019. So they traded Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, and two first round picks, which included the 23rd pick in the 2019 draft for Mike Conley. Uh, that summer they also acquired Bogdanovich, who is top three most important free agent acquisitions. Maybe by maybe by the end of this, you say he's the, the most important just because he kind of helps push you over the edge to where you actually can you know, compete for the Western Conference Finals and perhaps the NBA Finals if you're the Utah Jazz. Uh, you could argue Carlos Boozer, the Joe Johnson signing was a big one at the time. I think you could put Bogdanovich over Joe Johnson today. Uh, but Carlos Boozer still is probably the one because he... He was, I mean, he was very good. I think people forget how good Boozer was. Uh, but they signed him to this four-year, $73 million contract. I remember smart NBA people were kind of clowning that deal. Uh, but today it looks really good because he's been able to help them. They, they lost in the bubble in round one, really close series against the Nuggets. And then now they're up 2-0 on the Clippers in round two. So, And the Jazz, this kind of long and winding road, to acquiring a three-time Defensive Player of the Year and a guy that Sam Amick is calling the best player in the playoffs right now. It's just, it's just so interesting to me. And you contrast that with teams like the Clippers and the Nets, who all they had to do was prove they were a competent organization and have like one good year, right? Yeah. And then, and then guys just walk through the door. And it's all about market. Like market is so much of the story with every with every NBA season it is, but especially with like contrasting the jazz and even the nuggets to these other big markets. Like it's so difficult. Like you have to hit on draft picks and they could have happened a lot of ways. Like they could have hit on five, right? Where Dante Exum was, or they could have hit in other areas and made it, but they ended up hitting in places where it's almost impossible to hit. (laughs) Like go look at pick 27. It's like almost impossible to hit and get, who they did with Rudy Gobert, but it's just, it just shows the hard work that went into all of this for a small market like the Utah jazz. And it's, it's just really cool to see them thriving. And that's why it'll be so interesting if they do make the finals, which, you know, that's not a guarantee. They have to beat the Clippers. They might have to beat the Suns, who look awesome. Mm -hmm. But if they did get there, you know, compared to the nets and the Clippers that you brought up, That method of team building, we've seen that before. We've seen that method win championships. We saw it last year with the Lakers. Big market, signing marquee free agents, winning a championship. The Jazz doing it would be so interesting because it's not just that they drafted this team. It's that their best two players were drafted outside of the top 10. And that in and of itself is so rare. And in fact, I don't know off the top of my head, but the only team I can think of are the Stockton Malone Jazz. Because yeah. I think Malone was drafted at 13th, Stockton was drafted at 16th, and they built that into a juggernaut. They didn't win the championship, but obviously made multiple finals. So I, 
I think it's going to be so interesting if they make it to that point and then other teams, as we always do, try to say like, okay, how did that team build it? What can we do to replicate it? It's going to be very hard. Like, I almost think that last, you can't replicate last year's yeah. Heat team is easier to replicate than this Jazz team. Sure. It, it's not a blueprint. That's the thing about it is you... Yes, it took a lot, and it took a lot of hard work and a lot of evaluations for them to get here. But at the end of the day, it's not a blueprint to winning. The only blueprint there is possibly the style of play, right? Uh, but beyond that, this is not a blueprint for how you build a team. <laughs> like there's, in, in some ways, had the Nuggets just not said yes, right? Had they just, okay, we'll, we'd rather just take our take Donovan Mitchell and just see how it goes. Like it's, that's totally out of the jazz's hands, right? Like whenever you're relying on trades like that on draft night, it's not totally within your control, whether or not that player actually ends up on your team or not. And credit to the jazz for making those deals, uh, discredit to the nuggets for making those deals. But discredit. I mean, it's, and you know, lucky, luckily for the nuggets, like they don't have to sit and bemoan those because they did so well with like Jamal Murray and obviously MPJ and Jokic clearly at 41 is crazy, but you don't have to sit and bemoan those because your team is still really good. Uh, But if you're the jazz, it's just, it's just crazy to think like the thin line that's there between this team and whatever else could have been. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. I I think, I think the nuggets can bemoan a little bit. Why not? You know, you can certainly, and and if, yeah, you can bemoan it. If only for this reason, because if you are a small market, the only real way to stack the deck is by stacking draft picks, right? Like that's the that's the only way that you can like truly stack the deck and be like, oh my gosh, this feels unfair. If Donovan Mitchell was on this Nuggets team, it would feel probably a little bit unfair, right? And if Jamal Murray was healthy and you have Mitchell and you have MPJ and you have Jokic, you're like, oh my gosh, like how do you even beat that team? Uh, but that's you know, that's why I don't like, know. it's kind of it's more fun to spread the wealth, I guess. The Donovan Mitchell trade is more justifiable because it's like maybe they identified Trey Lyles as this guy who they thought was underrated. They're getting another pick back. Sure. The Go Bear one sure. is where it's like completely inexcusable. Like just to, when you're a small yeah. market giving up a first round pick like that, you can't you can't just give them away. In the same way like the Suns did a long time ago with Rajon Rondo, like you you just can't give up those picks. Yeah, yeah, they could. Yeah, they could have had Rondo. They could have had. Luol Deng, they could have had Andre Iguodala to add to that like great Suns team, and they just and that was even more egregious because it was like a top fifteen pick. You just can't do that. Well, um, Andrew, let's uh, let's keep the Jazz train rolling, choo choo, because I want to talk about my most interesting thing of the week, which uh, has been Donovan Mitchell's play. Now, Sam Amick, you mentioned he he tweeted that he thought Donovan Mitchell was the best player in these playoffs so far. As evidence, he provided that. The Jazz, he's played six games. The Jazz have a 6-0 and record in those games because obviously he missed that first game against the Grizz. 32.7 points per game, shooting 42% from three, five and a half assists, three rebounds, 38% usage rate. And of course, those two most recent wins came without Mike Conley. And then StatMuse had a great tweet. Highest points per game in playoff history, minimum of 25 games. Coming in at number six, Donovan Mitchell with 28.4. And so this narrative has started to come out of all of this. Like, man, if you start looking back at Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs, he is one of those rare stars that actually gets significantly better in the playoffs. Because there's a lot of stars yep. who either 
just kind of maintain what they were doing, you know, or maybe there's stars, and we'll talk about some of these stars, who drop off a little bit or maybe a lot. But it's very rare to have the star who significantly gets better in the playoffs. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to see, like, is this true? You know, because it could be recency bias. Uh, on, on the other hand, he's played 29 playoff games, already two 50-point games, two 40-point games. In those 29 games, he's scored 30 or more in 13 of them. Yeah, that's wild. And this is a guy who still hasn't even turned 25. So my idea for this was I wanted to choose an advanced stat, you know, kind of like an all-encompassing stat, pick like the best players in the league, compare what their career for that stat is, career number for that stat in the regular season, compared to what it is in the playoffs, and see what the difference was, okay? So I decided to go with PER. PER. Oh, now, you might say... A little tip, tip to uh, athletic writer John Hollinger. That's right. And, okay. and listeners out there might be saying, PER? It's so simple, though. Why did you choose one of these fancy new ones? And this is why, Andrew. First of all, it's mostly used as a measure of offensive production. So it only includes mm-hmm. steals and blocks. And I think when we talk about a player like jumping to another level in the playoffs, let's be honest, we're usually not talking about their defense. We're talking about guys <laughs> who are having crazy scoring explosions, okay? So I think it's actually mm-hmm. helpful for that mm-hmm. reason. The other reason is it's a totally individual stat. Like it's based on their box score production. So it's not necessarily taking in team factor as much as some other stats. And by comparing players to themselves, it removes one of the main criticisms of PER, which is... You know, guys like Clint Capella or Ennis Cantor, who seem like absolute superstars when it comes to <laughs> yeah. PER. We're kind of getting rid of that because we're not comparing players to each other. We're comparing them to themselves. And lastly, everyone knows PER. So it's very simple. Okay. So my sample size, Andrew, I picked 20 players. And my criteria was I wanted to make sure I included all the guys who would be expected to be the number one guy on their team in the playoffs, the guys with the most pressure. Minimum of 25 playoff games, at least five playoff series. So this rules out Luka, Trey, Booker, Ja. All guys who have been amazing in the playoffs. And in fact, when I get to my results, all of these guys would have been in the top five. That's how good they've been. But, you know, we're talking about Trey Young playing seven games. Even Luka, he's only played 13 games. I also wanted to only include recent All-Stars. So everyone in this top 20 are guys who were an all-star in 2021, except for Jimmy Butler, and I wanted to include him because of the recent bubble run. So what I did, I looked at their PER for their career in the regular season, compared it to their PER in the playoffs, and I looked at what the difference was, Andrew. That's all. And I did it as a percentage. Now, I'm going to let you decide, would you rather hear the bottom five first, the guys who get worse in the playoffs, or the top five first? (laughs) Give me the bottom five. Ooh, I knew you'd want the bottom five. (laughs) First of all, number six, James Harden. James Harden, just throwing him in there. Now, his P, he's one of these guys, like his PR doesn't really dip that much. It dips by Mm 6.9%. But like that kind of makes sense because he is a transcendent player in the regular season. And thus far in his career, he has not necessarily been that same transcendent player in the playoffs. So it kind of makes sense. Number five, Ben Simmons. PR declines by 8.8%. Ooh, kind of making sense, isn't it, Andrew? Next. Not surprise. (laughs) Number four, Jimmy Butler. Now, this one was interesting to me. It declines by 10%. This is entirely because of this postseason. He was so horrendously bad in that first-round series against the Bucs. 
it completely tanked his career playoff PER. So, and a lot of these kind of have explanations like that. Number three, Mr. Playoff P himself, Paul George, also declines by about 10%. He was an interesting one because he's had really good playoff series, as we've brought up. But compared to how he performs in the regular season, there's not really a comparison. The next one, number two, Andrew, Joel Embiid. Now, that one was really interesting to me because he is absolutely killing it right now against the Hawks. Like, one of the best guys in the playoffs right now. And this is more due to that seven-game series against the Raptors. Do you remember that series? That was the Kawhi series, the bouncing ball series. Oh, yeah. Because... Embiid was played all of those games, but remember, it was like every single game. It was like, is Embiid going to play this game? And he had some really bad games in that series that also tanked his PER. So I think over time, he's going to get out of that. The last one, Andrew, remember, this is only 20 guys. These are all-stars, the best players in the league. Who do you think, if you just had to guess, because I already mentioned Paul George, who do you think had the biggest drop-off in PER from regular season to the playoffs in their career? 13.7% it declined. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Damian Lillard. Really? And again, similar to uh, Jimmy Butler, a lot of this goes back to that four-game sweep against the New Orleans Pelicans when the, they played Drew Holiday. Remember that? Yeah. That series. Yes. Yeah, he locked him down. Yeah. That series tanked his value so much. But even so, like – Going back over Dame's playoff series, he's obviously had the playoff moments. But like this six-game yeah. series against the Nuggets this year was far and away his best playoff run, even if it was only one round. He's had some really wow. solid playoff runs, um, but this was the one where it was like, if you look at all the advanced statistics, it was kind of insane what he was doing. So I thought, Are you trying to debunk Dame no, time? No, I'm not debunking Dame time because, again, for some of this, it's like Dame's one of those players who's amazing in the regular season. So, like, how much better can he really get in the playoffs? Like, he does all that Dame time during the regular season. He did it this year when Nurk and CJ were out. So, how much more can he really jump up? Okay, let's get in the top five, though. Number five, Kawhi Leonard. Makes sense. Okay. Increases by 3%. Played a ton of playoff games. Number four, LeBron James. 266 Mm. playoff games. Increased by 3%. And you say, 3%, what's the big deal? That doesn't seem that much. But honestly, (laughs) for these guys increasing their PER by any amount when you get into the playoffs and defenses are so much better and putting up even better counting statistics than you did in the regular season, I think that's still really impressive. Like, just maintaining it is impressive. Number three, this year's MVP, Nikola Jokic. Oh, this, Mm. this, this list is sounding pretty good. Don't you agree, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. Number two... Now, this guy didn't totally meet all the criteria. He was an all-star this year, but he's not typically thought of as like the number one scorer on his team. But I wanted to include him because he ended up being number two on this list. It is Mike Conley for the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley. Wow. Just imagine when they get him back, Andrew. Just get ready, folks. And finally, number one. Do you have any guesses? I'll give you a guess again. Donovan Mitchell. It was Donovan Mitchell. Increases his PR by 16.5%. Jumps from 18.2 to 21.3. 29 playoff games. So he's still one of the younger guys on this list in terms of his playoff experience. But I thought that was really impressive. And some of the guys I left off, the guy who who I left off who is probably the most impressive is Draymond, which makes a lot of sense because like we've kind of seen 
Draymond's approach to the regular season sometimes when he doesn't necessarily yeah. want to be playing in the regular season. Whereas he like ramps yeah. it up dramatically. And he would have been number two on this list if I had included him. And again, all those wow. other guys, Trey, Devin Booker, John Morant, Luka Doncic, super small sample size, they would have all been in the top five. So I just mm-hmm. thought that was cool. Like Donovan Mitchell, it's true. The narrative, I think, I think it's true. He's amazing in the playoffs. Our eyes do not deceive us. All right, Andrew, it's now time to celebrate some birthdays. Blow out the candles, get your cake, and eat it too. It's the birthday bash. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Everybody move like it's your birthday. I've got another group of 10 basketball players, either current or former, who had birthdays this week. I'm going to pair them up. You're going to tell me which guy is younger, starting with Allen Iverson. Peja Stoyakovich. Oh. Same draft class. That makes it really difficult. Uh, let's see. I'll say Peja is older. Peja is younger. Allen Iverson turning 46 oh. this week. Peja turning 44. Next one. Daniel House, Jordan Clarkson. Oh, weird. Um, Jordan Clarkson younger? Jordan Clarkson's older. Turning 29 this week. <laughs> Daniel Health turning 28. Next, Bryant Big Country Reeves. Antoine Jameson. Oh, gosh, that's weird. That's weird to me. I've never thought of those two in, this, in the same sentence ever in my life. Um... I'll say Bryant Reeves is is <laughs> older. older. That is correct. Older? He turned 48 this week. Yes. Jameson turning 45. Next, Svi Mihailuk, Michael Mulder. Oh, <laughs> gosh, Al. Uh, I'll say Svi is older. No, he's not. Svi. He's not, Svi really? turned 24. Michael Mulder is 27 years old. Serious? I didn't know Neither how old my brother was. He's he's so young he's in my brain. Okay, last one. Some vets: Udonis Haslam, Earl Watson. Uh, UD is older. No, Andrew <laughs> Haslam is forty-one. Earl Watson turning forty-two. Good for one oh, out no. of four this week, Andrew. Oh. Gosh, at least I got one. I've been I played I played too many games in my head during that segment. Oh man, speaking of games, we're about to play a game with our good pal Tim Cato. I'd like to welcome Tim Cato to the show. Tim covers the Mavs for the Athletic and has his own podcast, 77 Minutes in Heaven. Tim, welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Man, not much. Very, very crazy stuff happening with the Mavs after their loss. But I just wonder, is it really that crazy? Do we should we really feel as disappointed as we are? Because like not not that many people had the Mavs in that series. Uh, is this all about the 2-0 lead and what that did to our brains? Yeah, yes. I mean, I think that shapes the perspective of this series for sure. Um, I think entering the year, this was a team that I said. You know, I thought they would finish top half of the Western Conference. I thought they would be able to do that. I think they could have. I think they could have had a Utah or Phoenix-like season. I, I don't think they're as good as those teams, but I think they could have had a a season that they're pushing into the top four. 
Um, but then they had they had the probably the worst COVID outbreak in the in the league, at least in terms of having to continue playing games with the skeleton roster. They uh, they had injury issues to Luca or fitness issues with Luca coming into the year, injury issues with Porzingis. You know, they didn't have a, a season that broke right for them. I, I viewed them as a team that if they were playing their best and playing as well as, as I kind of expected before the year, that they could potentially win a first-round series. They ended up with a matchup that I thought was as, about as bad um, of any matchup they could have got in the in the first round. I think, you know, Denver's also very good, but I just think matchup-wise, that, that was a better fit for them. You know, they would have... I think Porzingis would have had a lot more room to be effective in a, in a series against Denver than he was against the Clippers. And and so, yeah, in the context of all of that, I, I do think that, you know, you can't look at the, the you know, first round seven game loss and say this is an utter failure. But I do think the way the series happened um, and then just bigger questions about the, the, the front office and the way that the team has been built over the past few years. Mm. You know, out of all the players who took the court in game seven, Eight of them were on the roster after the Porzingis trade, and that mm-hmm. was early 2019. There has not been substantial, meaningful talent acquisitions and additions to this roster, and all their attempts to do so have, have largely not panned out. And that's Josh Richardson, and that's you know going back before that, DeLon Wright, and, and there's just a number of names and, and chances and things the team tried to do that just haven't panned out and i think that's a problem and i think that's that's the biggest question for the team is how are they going to meaningfully get more talent to this roster so that they can actually build a title contending team around luca because he's ready now that's actually a great lead into my next question because while it wasn't quite neil o'shea's press conference donnie nelson did create some headlines of his own in his exit interview Specifically, in an answer about Luca and Porzingis' relationship, he said, part of Luca's maturity is knowing how to balance all those kill shots with involving teammates at the right time. That's just part of the maturity process. I think as we move forward, you'll see more of an inclusive effort on those fronts. Honestly, watching the video, it didn't sound as bad as it read, but it was an interesting thing for him to say. And we've since seen a couple Dallas media guys trying out the whole, like, actually, Luca is the real problem take. What do you think Nelson's intentions were with that comment? Because he kind of brought it up with a question where it didn't really need to be there. Yeah, those were the the, the takes about Luca being the problem. Obviously, just utter nonsense. So we'll we'll start there. Um, I, I think I think the way you phrased it phrased this question is is right. What was Donnie intending with that with that statement? And I, I don't know. I mean, I I think I I understand to a degree what he's saying about Luca. I, I do think Luca can be a hard player to play with. If you're a if you're a basketball player, an offensive, you know, a good offensive basketball player who also needs the ball to build up a rhythm on the court, you know, it's always going to be dominated by Luca. Luca doesn't want a, a secondary ball handler next to him. I, I don't think that he's at that point in his in his career yet. And you got to remember, like he's he got this good immediately. Like you know, we don't see superstars of this level at the you know at 20 at 21 at 22 like I do think there is still some level of maturity for for Luca but I I don't the way the way Donnie mentioned like you'll see assists come like Mm -hmm. like specifically (laughs) that was bizarre I I don't know what he was getting at like this is a guy who had uh what 46 points and 14 assists in game seven like I I thought I thought it was a very strange thing for him to say. I'm not entirely sure why he said it. I think if you if you also look at comments Rick Carlisle made in his exit interview, and that Mark Cuban has made uh, this week, 
I, I think you see a more full picture of just the team saying we need to take the ball out of Lucas' hands a little bit for his own sake so he isn't wearing down so so aggressively in the second halves of games, mm-hmm. which we saw throughout the Clippers series. I think that is a valid point, but I don't think Donnie made it well at all with that that answer. And and I agree that it did sound it didn't sound as bad as it you know, in it, over audio as as it did written, but I thought it was a very strange statement for sure. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead this summer, I want you to rank these players from most likely to least likely to be on the Mavs next season. Porzingis, Josh Richardson, Tim Hardaway, Boban. Ooh, I like the Boban inclusion at the end. <laughs> I'd say most likely is Hardaway. Second most likely is Porzingis. Third most likely is Boban. And, and least likely is, is Richardson. And I think there's actually okay. a really good chance Richardson opts into his uh, player option. I think it's about yeah. 11 million. And I just think the team would trade him. Oh, really? I, okay. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think they're. If I yeah, if I had to guess, I think the most likely outcome is he opts in and he gets traded um, for really anything. I mean, I think that he just was not a fit on this team this season, and it was bad enough that you can't even go into next season saying, "Oh, maybe Richardson just needs another season." I, I think I think I would be surprised if he's on the roster next year. I I put Porzingis second, and that's probably the one that you guys want me to talk about. Um, because I do think they're going to resign Hardaway. Porzingis is interesting in that they would trade him in a heartbeat. I just don't think the combination of the value he has as a player right now, um, the the concerns over his health, um, and, and just like a lack of feasible options around the league for him. I, I just don't think that a trade that would be amenable to the Mavericks would is really going to show up this offseason. And I think there's, you know, they have, I, I figure they probably have a, a relatively low bar for what an amenable trade would be. And I, I don't even think any offers are going to clear that, you know. I've heard a few names, like just, just from speculation of people trying to figure out where could he reasonably go. But I don't think Golden State would give up Andrew Wiggins for him, frankly, mm-hmm. at this point. And I'm not sure Brad Stevens, you know, just turned GM. I don't know if the first big move he wants to make is you know, something like Kimba Walker and Marcus Morris for, for Persingas. That is, that is a high stakes, high risk move to make. And sure he's established, but you know, this is still, you know, the start of his, of his GMing career, if you will. So that, that would, that, that's, that's also another location that would, that would kind of surprise me in terms of actually turning into a trade option. So I just don't see a great market for, for trading him. And I think I might be crazy in this. I still hold on to a a little bit of hope that Porzingis can be a lot better next season and can could actually fit with Porzingis uh, with with Doncic uh, in the long term. Well, so I wanted to ask because in that scenario if he stays, a common theme that came up in the exit interviews was getting him more involved going forward. Like KP brought it up, Nelson brought it up, even Luca brought it up. But based right. on what you've seen from him recently, what would getting him more involved in the offense really look like? Like what part of his offensive game is being underutilized. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the right way to, to think about it. It's not his post-ups. It's not really him as a shot creator. Um, I don't think that he is one. I think we have enough evidence saying that, you know, him posting up, him trying to dribble, you know, more anything more than straight line drives um, off closeouts and stuff like that. I don't think that's his game. I still think he can be a really good offensive player, though, if you use him kind of like a 7-3 Clay Thompson. Um, the one thing that really is going to hold him back from being that player is that despite his perception as a shooter, he's only a good shooter. 
You know, he's not great. He's not elite. His, you know, his wide open three point percentages have always left something to be desired. He only had one season where he was really pushing 40% behind the arc. And, and that was the shortened one, the ACL season and his last one in New York. So that's my concern with him. Like, I think that you could use him as a, as a really effective off ball shooting player who, who spots up and, and moves off screens. He's a good cutter. He moves well uh, without the ball in his hands on the offensive end, um, just like a, you know, like a Clay Thompson type. Um, and people would always be frustrated with him if that's the player he is because they see a 7-3 player and they want him to play bigger. But he's not built to play bigger. And I think at this point, like if you're realistically looking at what he could be on the offensive end, it's about using the talents and, and the ability he does have. You know, his, his shooting, his size, his ability to shoot over everybody, his, his ability to move off the ball. I think those are all things that could come together in a, in a 20, 22 point per game score. He averaged 20 points this season right. under the radar. But I, I think I think the one thing that concerns me is is just the fact that he's never been as good of a shooter as, as he kind of seems to be or as the perception has been. Um, it's that. And then and then the big other, big other question is the defense. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Okay, well, thank you so much for answering our questions, Tim. But it is now time to play Andrew versus The Beat. Now, this is the game show where each week Andrew goes head-to-head against a beat writer um, usually it's about a specific team, but since we're in the playoffs, we've had some playoff-themed trivia shows. And this week's show, in honor of the Dallas Mavericks, it's all about teams that lost in the first round this year. So all the questions will be about those eight teams in some way or another. Now, a lot of people thought Andrew was tanking this, this game show over these past couple months because he was 0-11-1. But in the last two weeks, he has gotten two wins in a row. He is now 2-11-1. So, Tim, watch out. Andrew can make it a hat trick this week. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. You sh- I don't think I'm the, I think I'm the underdog. You, you may be. Now, how this is going to work, you're going to give me a number between 1 and 8. That'll correspond to a trivia question. It may be very hard. It may be very easy. And I do think there are a few very easy ones this week. If you get it right, you'll get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will get a chance to steal for one point. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So, starting with Tim, can you give me a number between 1 and 8? 7. Number 7. Who... 
was the leading scorer for the Heat in their first round loss against the Bucks. So this is me. Uh, I'm Jimmy Butler. <laughs> that didn't sound very confident, Tim. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it seems it seems like a safe bet. Um, I know. I know the 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 role players struggled a bit. It, I, it could be Bam, but I'm gonna go. Let's let's just say it's Butler. Let's say it's Butler. Let's say not. That is incorrect. Yeah. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Was it Dragic? It was Goran Dragic. Wow. Leading scorer for the Miami Heat with 16 and a half points. <laughs> All right. Man. What a weird, weird little series for the Heat. Okay, Andrew, is your uh, time to choose a question? I'll go number one. Number one. The Dallas Mavericks have not won a playoff series since 2011, the sixth longest drought of that type in the NBA. Which NBA team has gone the longest without winning a playoff series? The Sacramento Kings. That is incorrect. I tricked you. All right, Tim, you have a chance to steal. What NBA team has gone the longest without winning a playoff series? Man. And you said you said you tricked Andrew, which makes me think this is, might be an oddball one. Um, well, I knew he would say the Kings. I say I would have said the Kings too. I would have said the Kings too. You know me, you know me I too think well. Think the KG Timberwolves at least want to. Actually, it might it might be Minnesota. Let's say Minnesota. Minnesota is your final answer. That is also incorrect. Mm, told you, you I'm the under, underdog here. It is the Charlotte. Man, that was in my head, too. Interesting. 19 years. It was back in 2002 that they last won a playoff series. Wow. That, wow. That's the other team. Swear to God, that's the other team that flashed through my head. Oh, man. Okay, so, Tim, you have a chance, though, to pull ahead here. It is your turn. Let's go number three. Number three. First-time All-Star Julius Randle did not have a great playoff debut. He averaged 18 points per game, but shot under 30% from the field. Did you know there's only been two other All-Stars in NBA history to average at least 18 in the playoffs while shooting under 30%? The first, of course, was Bob Cousy in 1954. Of course. The, the second was this eight-time All-Star, an Olympic gold medalist who did it in the 2000 playoffs. Let's let's say let's say Malone. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel right at all. My that's brain's okay. not working that's well. Okay, it didn't feel right let's, because it wasn't right. Andrew, you mm. do have a chance to steal. Eight-time All-Star Olympic gold medalist. The year two thousand, he shot under thirty percent from the field in the playoffs. Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen. Know. Now, what was interesting about both of your answers is that you both went with older All-Stars, right. older players, older veterans, but it was a younger guy. It was a younger guy who ended up being an eight-time All-Star Olympic gold medalist, Vince Carter, Vince Sanity, mm. and Canada. Man, oh man, yeah. I see it. Okay. I see it. Okay, this is a low-scoring event so far. Andrew is up <laughs> one to zero, <laughs> and it, Andrew, it's your turn. Uh, uh, I'll go five. Number five. This week's trivia is all about first-round losers, but who loves losing in the first round the most? Which NBA franchise has lost more first-round series than any other franchise in NBA history with 25? Is it the Mavericks? The Mavericks? How dare you, Andrew? They're like a relatively young team. No, that's wrong. I was, I was adding it up in my head, and I'm like, I think they have about 15. Um... <laughs> 
Okay, Tim, but you yeah, have a no. chance to steal. The team who loves losing the most in the first round, they've done it 25 times. 25 they times. It. They love it. They can't stop doing it. So what's the other long-standing NBA team? Is it is it Philly? Is it the Philadelphia 76ers? That is incorrect. Now, I didn't give you this as a clue, but you could have surmised from uh, what I told you about the theme this week that it was one of the eight teams who lost mm. in the first round. Mm-hmm. And it was the Portland Trailblazers, oh. if you can believe it. Okay. okay, Tim, you're right there because you both have only <laughs> scored one point. Give me number eight. Number eight. eight. Oh, somebody's going to get points on this one, guaranteed. The New York Knicks made the return to the playoffs this year after eight long seasons. Their last playoff team, coached by Mike Woodson, made the second round back in 2012-2013 before losing to Paul George's Pacers in six games. There were 14 players who played playoff minutes for the Knicks that year, and we're going to name them all. We're going to start with Tim. You're going to give me one name. Then we'll go to Andrew. We'll go back and forth until you can no longer remember the 2012-2013 Knicks. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh goodness. Um, Carmelo. Camaro, that is correct. Andrew? J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith, that is correct. Back to Tim. Oh, man, I'm already getting hazy. <laughs> I, I, can, I can picture the team. I can picture the team. My brain does not work like this. Um, who were the guards? Um, oh, uh, Ray Felton was there, right? Raymond Felton was on the team. Back to Andrew. Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler was on the team. Back to Tim. Uh, but Calderon was on that team too, right? Jose Calderon. He was not on oh. the team, Tim. Am I crazy? He was there. He was there, though. He was uh, the there. The one I'm thinking of. Who's the, Italian, think... who's the Italian guard? That's, yes. that's who I was trying Pablo. to think of. Pablo, Pablo. Prigioni. God. Yeah, I was trying to think of Prigioni. Andrew. Man, that, was, that was an embarrassing showing. Uh, do you feel like showing off anymore? Are there, you, you a big uh, Knicks fan? Mon Shumpert was on that team. Mon Shumpert was, yeah. So was, he and J.R. Smith were traded to the Cavs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Novak was on that team. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's right. That's a good one. I think Amari was still on the team. I don't know if he played. Did he play? He was. He played a few minutes. He played a few minutes. Um, Anyone else? Any oh, other? Jason Kidd was on that team. Jason Kidd, yes. Oh, he was. Wow. Andrew, you're on a roll. I think that's all I got. Was I don't like think Reggie Bullock or somebody? Uh, you like got Kenyon Martin. Okay. Oh, that's weird. Q Rich. Yeah. Quentin Richardson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Marcus oh, Camby. I did <laughs> James not remember White, that. And then, uh, and then Chris Copeland. Remember Chris oh, Copeland? Chris Copeland. Vaguely. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. I forgot about okay. Chris Copeland. Andrew, you're now up two to zero. And it is your turn. Uh, six. Number six. I wasn't the leading scorer for my team in our first round loss, but I averaged more points per game in the first round than anyone on the Heat, Lakers, Bucks, Sixers, or Knicks. Who am I? Oh, is this um Is this Dylan Brooks? Dylan Brooks for the Memphis Grizzlies. That is correct. Dylan Brooks well scored more points than LeBron James. Well, he averaged more points. Wow. LeBron That's James wild. In the first round. Okay. Uh, Tim, it's looking bleak. I'll be honest with you. But there are still two questions left. Still time to rack up some points. Question number two and question number four. Let's go two. Question number two. Jason Tatum, Ja Morant, Luka Doncic, 
All are 22 or younger, and they all average 30 points per game in the playoffs this year. Did you know there are only two other active players who also average 30 points per game in the playoffs at the age of 22 or younger? Who are those two players? Well, I'd say LeBron and Carmelo are the two safe bets. Um, I, I don't know if LeBron got up to 30 early in his career. He might have. Um, let's say those two. All right. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. My goodness. Uh, is this Durant and Mello? Durant and Mello. Now, both of you bringing up Mello makes me worried that he actually is one of the answers. And so <laughs> I don't I'm know if he on is. <laughs> basketball <laughs> reference. It just feels right, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. And I'm getting worried. Like, why? <laughs> How old was Melo? Did he not do that? Uh, okay. Yeah, I, he was really good. He was really good. Although, series. I'm looking over his, uh, his, first, his first couple of series. He only scored 30 or more points twice before 2009. Mm. Um, okay, the correct answer, you both got LeBron. Actually, no, Andrew, you didn't get LeBron. No. Tim got LeBron. The other name, which I was surprised by this one, Anthony Davis. Anthony mm. Davis in 2015. He was the Gosh, other name. I, I need to establish the rule, never guess Durant for any of these. Yeah, I know. That was kind of a, I, That is who I would have guessed because he seems like the obvious choice as well. Yeah. Um, okay, final Your Oklahoma push. roots are letting you down. I know. That's true. <laughs> no. Failing you. <laughs> Okay, the final question, and Andrew, you'll get first dibs. Okay. The Lakers have made the playoffs 62 times and only lost in the first round nine times, one of which occurred in this year's first round loss to the Suns. Who was the Lakers' leading scorer in the playoffs the last time they lost in the first round? Yeah, this is like a challenge to see if we can remember the last time they actually lost in the first. Oh, yeah, it is. I think I'm going too far back in my head, actually. Um, I, were you about to say Jerry huh? West? Were you about to say Jerry West? <laughs> Kareem? No. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm going too far back. Um, John Naismith. <laughs> I mean, Kobe is like the easy one to say. Maybe that's... But these haven't been easy answers. Right. I know. Never choose the easiest <laughs> answer. It's always wrong right, with right, Alex right. every single time. Ah, but um, what if I'm doing some reverse psychology on you? You never know. Now you're here, trying to reverse the reversal, and I, I don't do like that. Andrew, Andrew, let's here. Let's both of us work out. When when did they last lose in the first round? Tim, uh, don't help him. <laughs> help me. I think they lost in the first round in like fourteen, like thirteen or fourteen. I think, I think that's right. Maybe I, without Kobe, maybe that was Kobe's injury season. <laughs> no, we're working to leave us alone, year. Alex. If you would for just five <laughs> yeah, seconds, get out of here. Was it Dwight's year? Was that the Dwight year that they lost in the first round? It it was. It, that's that. Yeah, that's that's got to be it. So with Steve, the, the Steve Nash year, he barely plays. Yeah, the Steve Nash, Steve Blake year. <laughs> Pal, the two Steves. And that Kobe was hurt, right? Um, so it would have been either Pow or Dwight, probably. I'll, I'll go with Pow, Pow Gasol. Andrew, a lot of thinking for a big fat L. You're wrong. <laughs> Tim, you have a chance to steal. 
Hmm. I feel like I feel like Andrew's reasoning was right. I feel like that was the series <laughs> that they last lost. Man. I don't want to. I don't want to take the easy way out and just guess your other answer, Andrew. But it feel it feel your reasoning feels right. Um, I'm trying oh. to think if there's anybody else on that team. So who, much pressure. This is Tim's chance to get on the board. He needs like, our test question. was on that team still, maybe. Um, but there's no way he led the team in scoring. I'll say Dwight. Dwight Howard was he the Lakers' leading scorer in the playoffs the last time they lost in the first round? Yes, he was! And Tim is on the board! <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the last question this week on Andrew vs. The Beat. Andrew, you've won three in a row! You're on fire! Finally Amazing! Thank you so much to Tim for joining us and for playing the game. That was fun. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks for uh, giving us some Mav knowledge. Thanks for joining our game. And we uh, make sure that you read Tim on The Athletic. He always has really exciting stuff. A great writer, great storyteller. We really appreciate Tim. Yeah, got something fun coming next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, lots of Mav knowledge, not so much trivia knowledge, but, uh, you know, they don't ask me to write about trivia on theathletic.com. <laughs> all right, Al, thanks to Tim again for joining the show. Be sure to check out all of his stuff on theathletic.com. Before we go, Alex, I'm going to read some five-star reviews. You can leave these on Apple Podcasts, no matter what country you're from. This week, we have a couple from the United States. This first one says, if, you're dra- if I were drafting podcasts... That could make that could help a team win now and sustain long term su- success. Slam and Jam would be a top five lottery pick, predicting six All Star appearances and a scoring title. Thank you so much for that. And then our next one, five stars always for the Saturday Pod. Love the birthday segment and the trivia. Nothing like Backwood Coffee and the Pod to get my weekend going. Thank you so much for both of those reviews. The first one came from Bebby Ducats and the other one from Your Aeneas. So thank you so much for those reviews. Hope you guys have a great Saturday and a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the playoffs, and we will talk to you guys again next week.